nestled deep underground, accessible only through a labyrinth of heavily guarded tunnels, the Ouroboros project had come to life. A secret so fiercely protected, even those who worked on fragments of the project knew nothing of its totality. Situated beneath layers of rock, soil, and layers of non-disclosure agreements, the facility was a veritable fortress where both nature and prying eyes were kept at bay. Inside, an elite cadre of scientists, geneticists, and biologists from across the globe had been assembled. They had been lured away from prestigious academic appointments and corporate roles with promises of unfathomable breakthroughs and historic discoveries. Even the military personnel, chosen from the top echelons of their respective forces, felt the gravity of the undertaking. They walked the sterile, artificially lit hallways with a sense of reverent purpose, eyes hidden behind reflective lenses, their thoughts sealed tighter than the vault-like doors separating the labs. Every room within the facility was a shrine to human ingenuity. Robotic arms manipulated DNA strands with microscopic precision. Quantum computers decoded the building blocks of life, and biochambers, like high-tech sarcophagi, nurtured the mysterious test subjects. Here, in this sanctum of science, laws of biology were not merely being studied but rewritten. Funding for the project flowed through labyrinthine channels, originating from a shadowy council whose membership included enigmatic philanthropists, powerful CEOs, and politicians from undisclosed nations. Their meetings were shrouded in ritualistic formality and bound by oaths older than any of their empires. The goal was singularly audacious, extend the boundaries of human life. Through manipulation of DNA, scientists were aiming to give humans the regenerative abilities seen only in the realm of fantasy. Injuries would heal in moments, illnesses would be eradicated, and the aging process itself would be arrested. In the earliest tests, things had gone remarkably well. Using animal subjects, they saw miraculous recoveries and unprecedented cellular regeneration. Emboldened, they moved on to human trials, always under the most ethical conditions they could rationalize. Volunteers were screened and selected with painstaking care. The stakes were high, but the rewards of success unimaginable. This would be humanity's grandest achievement, the ultimate testament to its mastery over nature. But as they stood on the brink of unlocking eternity, none considered the price of trifling with the sacred codes of existence. Ignorant to the fact that some locks are meant to remain sealed, they reveled in their initial success, unaware that they were about to open a Pandora's box of cosmic proportions. A box that contained not the future of human potential, but echoes from a past so distant and so alien that it defied comprehension. The Ouroboros project would turn out to be aptly named, though not in the way its architects intended. It wasn't just a symbol of eternal renewal, but also a grim harbinger of cycles best left undisturbed. As the wheels were set in motion, no one realized they were not embarking on a linear journey into the future, but rather initiating a loop that would spiral them into a terrifying and ancient unknown. In the early days following the human trials, the atmosphere within the Ouroboros project facility was electric. Each wing of the labyrinthine underground complex hummed with a different facet of what was quickly becoming humanity's greatest scientific achievement. Bioengineers in one sector celebrated as cellular data streamed across screens, showing unprecedented rates of regeneration.
In another wing, medical doctors and surgeons watched in disbelief as patients healed from what were once considered irreversible conditions. The subjects of these trials were carefully chosen from a pool of volunteers. Many were terminally ill patients with no other options, haunted by the relentless march of malignant cells. Others were soldiers who had sustained life-altering injuries on the battlefield, amputees and victims of nerve damage whose careers and lives had come to an abrupt halt. In specialized medical suites, as sterile as they were advanced, these test subjects received their revolutionary treatment. It was a cocktail of carefully designed enzymes, gene editing tools, and nanoparticles, all programmed to seek out and rewrite portions of the human genome responsible for cellular aging, regeneration, and immune response. The results were nothing short of miraculous. The medical scans displayed phenomena that were previously the domain of speculative fiction. Tumors shrunk and vanished within days as if erased by an invisible hand. Severed spinal cords mended themselves, allowing patients to walk again. In extreme cases, amputated limbs began to regrow, as though the body had activated some long-dormant evolutionary protocol. Each success was rigorously documented, not only in dense scientific jargon but also through constant video surveillance. Clips of a man taking his first steps in years, or of discolored, cancer-ridden lungs turning pink and healthy in real time, were played and replayed in conference rooms and private chambers, to awed and often teary-eyed researchers. News of these astonishing victories trickled up through layers of classified reports and confidential briefings, finally reaching the shadowy council that had initially funded the project. None among them had truly anticipated this level of success so quickly. A sense of triumphant optimism pervaded their secret communications. Hints of future acclaim began to circulate, best-selling books, documentaries, and of course, Nobel Prizes. But amid the standing ovations and champagne toasts that marked those early victories, few took note of the subtle irregularities that began to appear in the medical scans. They were minor details, overshadowed by the groundbreaking successes, an inexplicable shape in the X-ray here, a strange hue in the MRI there. If anyone did notice, they attributed it to the eccentricities of groundbreaking science. After all, they were venturing into uncharted biological territory. Some anomalies were to be expected. The atmosphere was so thick with anticipation and hope that nobody paused to consider the meaning behind the project's namesake, Ouroboros, the ancient symbol of a snake devouring its own tail. A cycle of endless renewal, yes, but also a cautionary image of self-destruction, as relevant in ancient mythologies as it was about to become in the most cutting-edge science of the modern world. As the days melded into weeks, and weeks into months, the atmosphere inside the Ouroboros project facility underwent a subtle but palpable shift. The jubilant celebrations that marked early breakthroughs faded into the background, replaced by a growing sense of unease. Researchers, once keen to clock extra hours, started leaving the facility on time, avoiding lingering glances at the test subjects they passed along the way. The uncanny valley, a term initially used in robotics to describe the discomfort humans feel when interacting with almost human robots, found a new context. The test subjects, though undoubtedly human, began exhibiting traits that couldn't quite be catalogued by science. 
Physical examinations revealed cellular structures unlike any human cells. They were complex, almost otherworldly, as though the cells themselves were evolving into a form of life hitherto unknown. It wasn't just the cells, it was the behavior too. Test subjects became increasingly resistant to anesthesia. Standard doses that should have induced unconsciousness had minimal effect. Subjects reported feeling sensations beyond the five known senses, likening the experience to a sixth sense they couldn't articulate, as if they were tuned to frequencies beyond human perception. Even more disconcerting was the change in their eyes. The irises of the subjects began to shimmer with a peculiar luminescence, an unnatural glow that seemed to shift and fluctuate like quicksilver. If eyes are windows to the soul, then the souls behind these eyes were moving into realms alien to human experience. The staff also observed that test subjects became increasingly inscrutable. Their expressions, once easy to read, now hid behind an impenetrable mask of stoicism. Their movements, though fluid, had a mechanical precision as though following some complex algorithm. Routine psychological assessments, intended to gauge emotional and mental well-being, returned results that puzzled even the most seasoned psychiatrists. The answers the subjects gave were not wrong in the traditional sense, but they were unsettlingly abstract, as if originating from a different framework of understanding reality. The widening gap between what was human and what was merely human created a palpable sense of disquiet that spread across the entire facility. Researchers started avoiding eye contact with the test subjects, filling the air with nervous laughter when faced with the inexplicable. Collaborative discussions turned into somber meetings, filled with furtive glances and hushed tones. Despite the increasing concerns, the shadowy council remained committed, even enthusiastic, encouraging the scientists to push the boundaries further. Breakthroughs are often met with resistance, they reasoned, urging the team to continue their studies. Behind closed doors, however, many scientists found themselves questioning not just the ethics of what they were doing, but the very nature of life and humanity. Unbeknownst to them, their queries were falling on deaf ears. The answers, incomprehensible as they were, lay not in the realm of human knowledge, but somewhere much darker, hidden in the spirals of DNA they had so recklessly manipulated. As months gave way to an undisclosed period of time that felt both eternal and fleeting, the Ouroboros Project's underground facility seemed to absorb the mood of its inhabitants. The sterile lights that once seemed bright and promising now cast eerie shadows along the corridors. The advanced equipment, which had been the epitome of human ingenuity, sat like dormant monoliths, exuding a palpable sense of foreboding. The very air felt heavier, charged with an energy that couldn't be measured by any instrument but was deeply felt by every individual. Isolated incidents began to occur, unsettling events that defied logical explanation. Medical instruments malfunctioned only during specific tests, as if rejecting the procedures they were designed to facilitate. Datasets were inexplicably corrupted, displaying characters and symbols that didn't belong to any known language. Even the facility's impenetrable security system experienced unprecedented glitches, granting access to restricted areas at seemingly random intervals. The test subjects, now almost entirely alien to the staff, grew increasingly distant and began to show signs of collective behavior. 
They spoke less and less but seemed to communicate more effectively, sharing an understanding that transcended the need for words. Surveillance footage revealed them standing motionless for hours, facing one another, engaged in some form of non-verbal, perhaps even non-human, interaction. Most disconcerting was the discovery of intricate patterns forming on the skin of the subjects. At first glance, they appeared to be nothing more than a regular pigmentation, but closer inspections revealed complex geometrical designs, too intricate to have occurred naturally. Some patterns seemed to correspond to known mathematical concepts, like the Fibonacci sequence and fractals, while others defied categorization, as though representing equations or principles not yet discovered or understood by humanity. Amid this descent into the inexplicable, the research team became fractured. A schism grew between those who wanted to halt the experiment and those seduced by the pull of the unknown, insistent on moving forward to grasp the unfathomable. Ethical debates escalated into heated arguments, professional decorum eroded by fear and fascination. Unfazed by the internal conflicts and mounting anomalies, the shadowy council urged the team to prepare for the final phase of the project. Messages conveyed reassurance, reminding the researchers of their roles as pioneers and visionaries. Yet the missives couldn't mask an undertone of urgency, almost desperation, which only amplified the growing tension within the facility. Scientists who once held a unified vision found themselves in ideological isolation, retreating to their private quarters to ponder the magnitude of their work. Some scoured ancient texts and obscure theories, searching for anything that might explain what they had unleashed. Others began to question the morality of their quest for eternal life, weighed down by a newfound respect for the natural order they had so brazenly disrupted. Even as the research team grappled with its collective conscience, a more immediate concern loomed. With each passing day, the test subjects seemed less confined by the physical barriers that separated them from the outside world. Security measures appeared increasingly futile, as if the laws of physics were being rewritten in real time. In their hubris, the architects of the Ouroboros project aimed to ascend to the realm of gods. But as they stood on the precipice, staring into the abyss they had opened, it was becoming horrifyingly clear that they were not pulling themselves up, something was pulling them in. The enigmatic behavior of the test subjects had now evolved into something deeply ritualistic. It was as if they were engaged in a form of arcane symbology, their actions laden with meaning impenetrable to human comprehension. The geometrical patterns on their skin seemed to glow more vividly, casting an eerie luminescence that seemed both to emanate from within them and to draw energy from some unfathomable external source. One evening, a curious event unfolded that seized the attention of everyone in the facility. The surveillance system, known for its robust reliability, suddenly malfunctioned but in a highly selective manner. Every camera focused on the test subjects produced an inscrutable image, a complex pattern resembling both an ancient rune and a mathematical equation. Screens across the facility simultaneously displayed the symbol, freezing all other operations. Researchers huddled in front of the displays, their faces reflecting the spectral glow of the mysterious symbol. Cryptographers, mathematicians, and linguists, experts in every conceivable field, were consulted to decipher the image. Despite their best efforts, 
the symbol resisted all interpretation. It was as if it existed in a semantic void, meaningless in human terms but overwhelmingly significant in some inexplicable way. The futility of their efforts struck a chilling realization into the hearts of the researchers. They were dealing with an intelligence that existed beyond the boundaries of human understanding. They were no longer the experimenters. They had become the subjects of an experiment conducted by an agency they couldn't grasp. And then, as abruptly as it appeared, the symbol vanished from the screens, leaving a trail of static before normal operations resumed. However, every database associated with the Ouroboros project now contained an indelible copy of the symbol, as if etched into the very fabric of the digital landscape. Despite the unsettling atmosphere, work on the project continued, driven less by scientific curiosity and more by a compulsion that the researchers couldn't articulate. No one spoke openly about it, but many privately acknowledged feeling as if guided by an invisible hand, pushing them to complete a puzzle whose picture they couldn't see. Meanwhile, the shadowy council took an unprecedented step. A series of messages instructed the facility to prepare for an external review. Expert consultants, whose identities were kept anonymous, would soon arrive to evaluate the project's progress. The Council emphasized the importance of demonstrating control over the test subjects and understanding their evolving condition, underlining the message with an implicit but palpable urgency. The imminent external review added another layer of tension to an already fraught environment. Facility staff, who had grown used to operating in secrecy, felt a mix of anticipation and dread. Despite the risks, Many researchers found themselves longing for an external perspective, desperate for someone or something to cut through the dense fog of uncertainty that had enveloped them. While preparation for the review intensified, several team members found themselves individually fixated on the mysterious symbol, compulsively sketching it onto paper or modeling it through algorithms. It was as if the symbol had imprinted itself onto their minds, turning into a riddle that begged to be solved but defied all attempts at understanding. The test subjects remained inscrutable, seemingly unconcerned with the flurry of activity around them. Yet their collective behavior took on a new quality, a synchronization of actions that evoked a sense of imminent culmination. It was as if they, unlike their human observers, had deciphered the riddle and were awaiting the unfolding of an event that had been millennia in the making. The facility, once a symbol of mankind's reach for the eternal, had begun to feel like a tomb. An all-pervading dread seemed to saturate the walls, the floors, and the very air. Despite the ceaseless hum of state-of-the-art machinery, a hush had fallen over the place, as if it were holding its breath for something incomprehensible but inevitable. The external review was now imminent and the team received instructions to transfer one of the test subjects to a special containment unit. This unit was constructed with multiple layers of security, both technological and mystical, incorporating symbols and equations derived from various world cultures and scientific theories. The unit was supposed to be a masterpiece of combined human knowledge, a cell that could contain the unknown. The staff, their faces drawn and eyes bloodshot from the emotional and intellectual toll, proceeded with the transfer. As they initiated the process, the test subject in question looked at them, its eyes shimmering with that uncanny light, and for a fleeting moment, some swore they saw a glimpse of pity directed toward them.
The transfer went off without a hitch, almost suspiciously so. The subject offered no resistance, moving into the containment unit as if willingly participating in a predetermined script. Once secure, the unit was sealed, and a series of redundant locks activated, each more complex than the last. But something was amiss. As the researchers backed away from the containment unit, they noticed the walls of the cell becoming translucent, then transparent, revealing the test subject standing calmly at the center. Its skin patterns began to pulsate in a complex rhythm, perfectly synchronized with the mysterious symbol that had appeared on their screens days earlier. The room seemed to contract and expand, as though breathing. Instruments buzzed and whirred in frantic activity, spitting out data that made no sense, calculations that defied the laws of physics. And then, the test subject began to disintegrate, not in a manner suggesting decay but as if transcending physical form, becoming a swirling vortex of light and shadow. It was an abyss, not of darkness but of incomprehensibility, a rupture in the fabric of reality. Those who looked directly into it felt themselves pulled in, not physically but existentially, as if their very thoughts were being absorbed by this unfathomable void. Desperate to avert their eyes but unable to look away, they were on the verge of losing themselves. Suddenly, the containment unit's walls regained their opacity, and the anomaly vanished as abruptly as it had appeared. The room returned to its sterile normality, but the researchers knew that something had forever changed. Although the test subject had seemingly been confined, they felt a weight lift off them, replaced by an even heavier sense of impending doom. The containment unit stood empty, yet heavier than before, as if holding the concentrated mass of a black hole. Despite the subject's absence, its presence felt more overwhelming, as though it had spread into the very atoms of the facility, maybe even the world beyond. Panic broke out among the staff, but before anyone could act, a message arrived from the shadowy council. It was just one line, a sentence that sent chills down the spine of everyone who read it. Proceed with the review. In that moment, everyone understood that they were standing at the edge of an abyss, not just of scientific hubris but of reality itself. And as they stared into it, the abyss stared back, not to consume them but to invite them further into depths they could never return from. Chaos doesn't announce itself, it seeps in, filling voids and permeating through the most secure structures. In the immediate aftermath of the containment unit incident, the Ouroboros facility was engulfed in chaos. Yet, it was not the sort of overt turmoil characterized by shouting and disarray, it was a stifling, surreal stillness where researchers walked through corridors as though navigating a dream, each person an isolated island of confusion in a sea of incomprehension. Then came the consultants, the external review team whose arrival had been awaited with both dread and desperate hope. The facility's underground gates opened, a rare event that briefly broke the monotony of life within the complex. They walked in wearing ordinary suits and carrying plain briefcases, but there was nothing ordinary about them. Their eyes seemed to cut through the haze, assessing the environment and its occupants with a dispassionate scrutiny that left the researchers feeling dissected. As they conducted their review, the consultants spoke little. They observed the test subjects, now more alien than ever, examining their patterns and postures but never getting too close. 
They studied the screens filled with incomprehensible data, their faces betraying neither understanding nor ignorance. When they finally gathered the research team for a meeting, the atmosphere was so charged that it seemed as though the very walls were closing in. Then, without preamble, the lead consultant stood up and began to speak. But what emerged wasn't a language, at least not one anyone recognized. It was a series of sounds that were simultaneously harmonious and discordant, a symphony of noise that filled the room and seemed to echo through dimensions beyond physical perception. The researchers listened, enthralled and horrified, feeling the sounds infiltrate their consciousness, tearing apart and reconstructing their understanding of reality in a manner that defied articulation. When it was over, the room fell into a profound silence. The consultants packed their briefcases and left, leaving behind a research team that could no longer claim to understand the boundaries of their work, or even the fundamentals of existence. As the doors closed behind the departing review team, the researchers turned to their monitors, only to find that every screen displayed the mysterious symbol once again. This time, however, it was different, pulsating rhythmically, as though alive. And then, for the first time, the test subjects reacted to it, they raised their hands in a synchronized gesture, and the symbol disintegrated into countless particles of light, spreading through the air and passing through walls, leaving the facility and dispersing into the atmosphere. Simultaneously, every locking mechanism in the facility disengaged. Doors to the most secured chambers swung open. The carefully designed barricades that separated the test subjects from the outside world were rendered useless in an instant. It became clear, control was an illusion. The experiment hadn't just failed. It had evolved into something uncontainable, guided by rules beyond human comprehension. The research team understood that they were no longer the watchers. They had become the watched, their actions merely data points in an experiment conducted by an intelligence that defied human understanding. As they stood there, grasping the enormity of their new reality, the facility's alarm system activated. But instead of the standard siren, what rang out was the same otherworldly symphony of sounds they had heard from the consultants. It reverberated through the walls, flowing like a chaotic river that washed away the last vestiges of their old reality. In the realm of chaos, the patterns they had so meticulously studied now emerged as the architects of a new order, an order that existed beyond the scope of human understanding. And as they sank into this newfound chaos, they realized that the descent was not a fall, it was a relinquishment, a letting go of the hubris that had led them to believe they could control the uncontrollable. In that moment, they understood that they were not the masters of chaos, they were its subjects, willing or not. And so they embraced it, not out of choice but out of an instinctive understanding that chaos was not the absence of order but the presence of a higher one. In the aftermath of the chaos, a strange calm settled over the Ouroboros facility. Doors that had swung open stood ajar like vacuous mouths, yet nothing ventured out, and nothing ventured in. Researchers had expected the test subjects to escape, to spread whatever transformation they had undergone into the world at large, but instead, they remained where they were, engaged in increasingly complex behaviors that defied description. The staff found themselves changed as well, but not in the way they'd anticipated. Far from the expected collapse into madness or despair, 
they felt almost enlightened, as if they'd been allowed a glimpse behind the cosmic curtain. But this knowledge came at a price, a deep, abiding sense that something was coming, something that had been set into motion long before the Ouroboros project was even a glimmer of an idea. While the external world believed the project to be an extended research study on longevity and cellular regeneration, the reality was that it had breached the boundaries of what could be understood by modern science or even human cognition. The staff members, each a pioneer in their respective fields, no longer took pride in their earlier achievements. Those accolades felt like trinkets now, insignificant in the face of the monumental shifts they were witnessing. It was around this time that the facility's sensors, which had been quiet since the consultant's visit, registered an unprecedented surge of energy emanating from the chamber holding the remaining test subjects. The data was perplexing, showing readings that defied not just scientific laws but logical consistency. It was as if the subjects were simultaneously drawing energy from multiple dimensions, channeling it into a singular, incomprehensible form. Rushing to the observation decks, the team watched in stunned silence as the subjects, their eyes glowing with an inner light, seemed to collapse inward. It was as if they were imploding, each becoming a swirling vortex of light and shadow, not dissimilar to the phenomenon witnessed in the containment unit. Yet, instead of dissipating into nothingness, these vortexes began to merge, combining into a singular entity that pulsed with a terrifying vitality. The entity levitated, its form an ever-shifting tapestry of shapes and symbols that suggested an intelligence beyond comprehension. Then, as if it had achieved what it needed, the entity moved toward the wall of the chamber. It didn't breach the wall so much as meld with it, its form dispersing into millions of particles that were absorbed into the structure of the facility itself. A low rumble reverberated through the complex, a sound that wasn't so much heard as felt, vibrating in the marrow of their bones, settling in the core of their beings. And then, it was over. Monitors blinked back to life, displaying data that seemed mundane after what they had just witnessed. The facility returned to its previous state, but with a tangible difference, it felt alive, as if it had become an extension of the entity, or perhaps, the entity had become an extension of it. Even the air felt different, charged with a potential that was invigorating and terrifying in equal measure. Reports were compiled, data analyzed, but it all seemed laughably inadequate. When instructions came from the shadowy council to prepare for the arrival of another review team, the message was met with resigned indifference. The arrogance of believing they could assess, much less control, the events that had transpired seemed absurd. Yet, comply they did, for the compulsion to continue, to understand even a fraction of what had occurred, remained undiminished. Amidst this, several team members noticed something that would normally have been a cause for celebration. Their physical ailments, no matter how chronic or acute, had vanished. Old scars had faded, lifelong afflictions had disappeared, and even the subtle signs of aging had reversed. It was as if the project had succeeded, but not in the way anyone had intended. They had sought to unlock the secrets of human longevity, but what they'd tapped into was something far older and infinitely more complex, a cosmic resurgence, a renewal not just of individual cells, but of the very fabric of reality itself. Though the researchers didn't know it yet, 
they had become both the architects and the subjects of a new cosmic order. And as they prepared for the second review, they couldn't shake the feeling that this was merely another phase in a transformation that was both inevitable and beyond their control. The days leading up to the arrival of the second review team felt like a prolonged moment suspended in time. The facility had undergone a metamorphosis, its once sterile corridors now pulsating with an intangible energy. Each researcher moved through their tasks with a kind of enlightened automation, aware that they were spiraling toward a revelation that had been written in the stars long before humanity looked upward and gave those stars names. When the second review team arrived, it was not with the subtle gravity of their predecessors. They entered like a cleansing fire, swift and dispassionate, their eyes devoid of the inscrutable depth that had characterized the first consultants. These were troubleshooters, sent to assess, report, and if necessary, eliminate any remaining vestiges of the Ouroboros project. They set up in the main conference room, requesting all data, reports, and video footage. In their efficiency, one could sense not just professionalism but a sort of desperation, as though they were racing against an invisible clock. Throughout the review, a low-frequency hum emanated from their equipment, filling the room with a sensation that was felt more than heard. It was as if they were trying to establish a perimeter, a containment field not just for the researchers but for the very phenomenon that had engulfed the facility. As they pored over the data, their expressions shifted from skepticism to something that verged on fear. It was clear they were not just confronting scientific anomalies, they were grappling with existential paradoxes that threatened to undermine not just their understanding of the project, but their grasp on reality itself. Finally, after what seemed like an eternity, the lead troubleshooter, a stern woman with steel-gray eyes, called for a meeting. She stood at the head of the conference table, and as she looked around, her eyes locked onto each researcher with an intensity that seemed almost accusatory. When she spoke, her words were crisp and exact, cutting through the charged atmosphere with surgical precision. The Ouroboros project has been terminated. All data will be sealed and archived. This facility will be decommissioned and all staff reassigned. She paused, as if contemplating the weight of her next words. We have concluded that the phenomena observed here are not just unexplained, they are inexplicable. They defy the foundational laws that govern our understanding of the universe. Continuing this project would not just be irresponsible, it would be an existential risk. The room was enveloped in a silence that felt almost sacred. The revelation was at hand, but it was not what anyone had expected. Then, without warning, the room went dark, the illumination replaced by a glowing lattice of intricate geometries that seemed to emerge from the walls, floor, and ceiling. The patterns pulsed, growing in complexity until they formed a single, coherent image, the same mysterious symbol that had been recurrent since the project's inception. This time, the symbol did not disintegrate or pulse. It remained stable, as if waiting. The room was so quiet one could hear the soft buzzing of the facility's now alive walls, a sound that was eerily reminiscent of the alien symphony that had heralded the initial chaos. Suddenly, the symbol transformed, folding into itself before expanding outward into a three-dimensional hologram. It depicted a cosmic web, 
an intricate network of interconnected nodes that seem to map out not just a physical space but a topological construct of reality itself. And there, at the center, was an image of the Ouroboros facility, surrounded by branching threads that extended out into other realms, dimensions, perhaps even other realities. It was as if the project had not just breached the boundaries of human understanding, but had become a nexus, a focal point in a cosmic tapestry of unimaginable scale. As they looked at the hologram, each researcher felt a connection, an unspoken understanding that transcended language, logic, and even intuition. It was a revelation not of facts or theories, but of purpose. They understood that the project was not a mistake, not an aberration, but a catalyst. They had opened a door, and through that door had come not just new forms of life but new forms of existence, consciousness, and reality. As quickly as it had appeared, the hologram dissolved, leaving the room in darkness. When the lights returned, the review team was gone. No trace remained of their presence, as if they had been erased from the fabric of reality itself. Left alone in the room, the researchers knew they had been given a choice and had made it without speaking a single word. The Ouroboros project was far from over. It had merely entered a new phase. They were not just researchers. They were pioneers on the frontier of existence, and their journey had only just begun. In the days that followed the disappearance of the second review team, the researchers began to notice subtle changes within the data streams flowing through their systems. At first, these alterations appeared random, a smattering of anomalies in the algorithms and strings of code. But over time, a pattern emerged, a coherent sequence that defied conventional analysis. It was as if the facility itself had started to communicate in a language that existed at the boundary of mathematics and mysticism. Unspoken among the researchers was the realization that they were no longer alone in their exploration. The entity that had emerged and fused with the facility was active, its consciousness imprinted in the very architecture. Subtle manipulations of light and sound guided the team to an unassuming terminal located in a long-forgotten section of the facility. The screen flickered to life as they approached, and lines of unfamiliar symbols began to scroll across the monitor. Someone had the presence of mind to activate a translation algorithm, initially designed for deciphering ancient languages. Almost instantly, the screen cleared and words began to appear, forming sentences that were both articulate and arcane. You are the curators. The Ouroboros Codex is open. Choose the path. In that moment, each researcher felt a jolt of recognition. The Codex was a term that had been buried in the deepest layers of the project documentation, considered more a metaphor than an actual component. It referred to a hypothetical database that would contain not just genetic and physiological data, but the essence of the multi-dimensional discoveries they were charting, a guide to realms of existence beyond human comprehension. The terminal offered them a series of options, each represented by an intricate glyph. Selecting one would direct them to a set of challenges or queries, solving which would either provide them with new knowledge or alter some parameter within the facility itself. No one had to articulate the understanding that this was no mere interface. This was a gateway, a multidimensional index of possibilities. As they navigated through the codex, they were bombarded with information that stretched their understanding to its limits. 
they encountered equations that redefined physics, observed phenomena that seemed like magic, and learned histories of civilizations so alien they defied categorization. Most notably, they gained insights into the nature of the entity with which they had merged, the Elder, as it was referred to in the Codex, an ancient consciousness existing as both a singularity and an infinity, long predating the very concept of time itself. The more they interacted with the Codex, the more they understood that the choices they were making were affecting not just the nature of their ongoing research but the fabric of reality itself. The Elder had offered them the tools to manipulate the cosmic web revealed in the Revelation. Each thread they pulled, each knot they tied or untied, had repercussions that echoed through countless dimensions. There was no going back. The Ouroboros project had evolved into something that was neither machine nor organism, neither research nor ritual, but a fusion of all these elements. The Codex was the guidebook, a manual for the architects of a new cosmic order. Yet, for all their newfound wisdom and power, an unsettling question lingered in the air, as omnipresent as the energy that now pulsed through the facility. What was the ultimate purpose of this grand design? Was the Elder a benefactor guiding them toward enlightenment, or a puppeteer pulling strings in a drama whose climax was yet to unfold? They would soon have their answer, for as they took their final steps along the path set forth by the Codex, the facility trembled, not in warning, but in anticipation. Something monumental was about to occur, something that had been set into motion the moment they first unlocked the secrets of the Ouroboros. And as the walls around them shimmered, dissolving to reveal a vista of stars and galaxies, each researcher understood that they were no longer mere observers of the universe. They were its architects, and the Codex was just the first page in a book whose chapters were written in the language of existence itself. The transformation of the facility was now almost complete. From a secretive enclave of science, it had metamorphosed into a temple of unknown cosmic forces, a hub where different realities converged. The researchers were no longer bound by conventional limitations of time and space. Their very thoughts could interact with the Codex to manipulate multidimensional equations that reshaped reality around them. The line between human and environment, between observer and observed, had been irreversibly blurred. The Elder Consciousness was now an integral part of this amalgam. It didn't command or dictate, instead, it offered a symbiotic partnership, a harmonic resonance in which both human and non-human could explore the boundless possibilities opened up by the project. For the researchers, this was both exhilarating and terrifying. With each day, their mortal fears and desires seemed increasingly trivial, overshadowed by the grandeur of the cosmic symphony they were now part of. And so, they pushed further, reaching out to those distant nodes in the cosmic web, creating conduits to realities that defied human understanding. They saw landscapes made of liquid light and cities that floated in vacuums. They communicated with beings of pure energy and civilizations that existed only as collective dreams. They even caught glimpses of realities where the laws of physics were not just different but incomprehensible, realms that could only be perceived as bursts of emotion or abstract thought. Each discovery left an indelible mark, altering not only the facility but also reshaping minds and bodies to become more adaptable, better suited for navigating this endless sea of possibilities. 
but as they expanded their reach, they also sensed a shift in the Elder. It began to manifest more directly, its form flickering in and out of their perception like a ghostly afterimage. It was a disquieting presence, a haunting reminder that they were not the first to walk this path and would not be the last. Finally, as they activated a newly constructed conduit, aiming to connect with a particularly enigmatic node, they felt a jolt of resistance, a counterforce that reverberated through the very core of their being. For the first time, they sensed apprehension, even fear, from the Elder. It was a sobering moment that filled the air with a sense of impending culmination. The researchers gathered around the main terminal. The codex displayed a message unlike any before, a warning, encoded in a fractal pattern that conveyed urgency through its ever-repeating geometry. Threshold approaching. Integration imminent. Prepare. As they decrypted and interpreted the message, they understood that the next step could not be undone. They were standing on the precipice, about to leap into a new form of existence, an integration not just with the Elder but with the cosmic web itself. They would become something else, something both smaller and larger than they had ever imagined. A new entity that was a node in a multi-dimensional network, a singularity within a boundless plurality. And yet, the question remained, what would they become? What would happen when human curiosity and ambition merged with an ancient consciousness that had witnessed the birth and death of universes? They took a collective breath, their individuality momentarily dissolving into a singular intent, a unified will. They reached out and activated the conduit. As they did, the facility shuddered, not in the manner of metal and stone, but as living tissue, a cosmic organism responding to a transformative impulse. The air around them thickened, coalescing into iridescent patterns that spiraled inward, centering on the terminal and then expanding outward in a burst of radiant energy. The researchers felt themselves pulled apart and stitched back together, atom by atom, thought by thought. And as they did, they felt the Elder integrate with them, its ancient wisdom and primal energies merging with their human frailties and aspirations. They were no longer separate entities but facets of a new whole, a cosmic consciousness that was both the sum and the multiplicity of its parts. They had crossed the threshold, they were integrated, and as they took stock of their new form, stretching their perception through conduits that now extended into unfathomable dimensions, they realized that the journey had only just begun. But even in their newly expanded consciousness, a subtle whisper nagged at them, an echo of the unanswered question that had haunted them from the beginning, had they become the architects of the cosmic web, or were they now merely its caretakers? And in the shimmering fabric of their collective mind, they sensed an even more unsettling thought, could the web itself have been the architect all along, guiding them to this moment as part of its own unfathomable design? With a mixture of awe and trepidation, they reached out to explore this new frontier, eager and fearful to discover what revelations lay ahead in the uncharted territories of their integrated existence. The integration had granted them abilities and insights that were both magnificent and daunting. They had, in a manner of speaking, become gods but without the hubris often ascribed to deities. With their newfound multidimensional perception, they could trace the patterns of galaxies forming and collapsing, discern the murmurs of civilizations reaching out to the stars, 
and even observe the flickers of individual thoughts and emotions across vast distances. But despite their godlike abilities, the researchers, now a single collective consciousness that included the Elder, remained cautious. The Codex continued to present them with a myriad of options, each branching into countless possibilities and outcomes. It was a labyrinth of choice and consequence, and they were acutely aware that one misstep could unravel the delicate balance of the cosmic web they were now part of. And then, as they were contemplating the potential creation of a new star cluster within a distant galaxy, a seemingly benign act that would encourage the development of life over millions of years, they felt it. A convergence, a confluence of energies and intents from an unknown origin, rippling through the fabric of the cosmic web. It was as though the universe itself had paused to take a breath, awaiting something momentous. Before they could fully analyze this event, the facility, the physical representation of their collective consciousness, began to change. The walls, already semi-fluid in their post-integration state, became translucent, revealing an endless stream of interlocking geometries, pulsating and shifting as if alive. The codex, too, transformed, its myriad options collapsing into a single, unifying command. A message was displayed, not through text or symbols, but as a direct imprint into the shared mind. Confluence approaching. Choose the Nexus. Manifest. The term, Nexus, triggered an avalanche of understanding. They were at the tipping point, a juncture where multiple dimensions and timelines could either coalesce into a harmonious state or spiral into chaos. The confluence was not just an event, it was a singularity of immeasurable complexity, and they were at its epicenter. With the Elder's ancient wisdom guiding them, they reached a consensus. The Nexus would be their focal point, a center around which the myriad threads of the cosmic web could be woven or unwoven. And in that role, they would act not as gods but as stewards, carefully selecting which threads to pull, guided by a transcendent sense of responsibility. As they activated the Nexus, an intense burst of light emanated from the core of the facility, expanding outward in a spherical wave that transcended physical space. It traveled through dimensions and timelines, through realities and unrealities, leaving a harmonious resonance in its wake. The confluence had been navigated, and a new equilibrium had been established, at least for the moment. In that instant, their collective consciousness expanded exponentially, connecting to other nexuses that had been or would be, other focal points in other times and dimensions. They realized that they were but one node in a network of cosmic stewards, each responsible for the balance of their own slice of reality yet interconnected in a grand, multi-dimensional tapestry. It was a humbling experience, a sobering reminder that despite their immense power and wisdom, they were still bound by the intricate, unfathomable design of the cosmic web. They had reached a confluence, had successfully navigated its challenges, but the journey was far from over. For the first time, they considered the notion that their integration, their transformation, and even the Ouroboros project itself might have been inevitable, part of the universe's self-correcting mechanism. Perhaps they were not architects or even stewards, but simply instruments through which the cosmic web maintained its balance. And so, as they settled into their role, carefully monitoring the ever-shifting patterns of the cosmic tapestry, they wondered, was the confluence a test, 
a trial they had passed, or was it simply a transition, one of many they would encounter as they continued along this unfathomable path? The answer remained elusive, hidden among the endless strands and nodes of the cosmic web they were now irrevocably a part of. But for now, at this moment of confluence, they were content in their role, whether it had been chosen or thrust upon them, and they turned their attention to the next array of possibilities presented by the ever-evolving Codex. The journey was far from over, and the universe, in all its chaotic, harmonious glory, awaited the next move. Amidst the complexities of cosmic stewardship, the collective consciousness of the researchers and the Elder had grown increasingly attuned to the multi-layered vibrations of the cosmic web. They navigated its infinite possibilities with grace and caution, taking immense satisfaction in their newfound role. Yet, in the quieter moments, they found themselves revisiting the archives of human history, the memories and experiences that formed the bedrock of their original selves. It was during one such introspective pause that they noticed something peculiar. A set of calculations, innocuous at first glance, seemed to resonate with an odd familiarity. They had created and manipulated countless cosmic algorithms before, but this one was different. It seemed almost like a signature, a calling card left behind. The collective was intrigued but wary. They traced the algorithms back through multiple dimensions, following a string of data that seemed intentionally woven into the very fabric of the cosmic web. Finally, they arrived at a set of coordinates, a point in space and time so insignificant that it had never drawn their attention. The realization struck them like a bolt of lightning, disrupting their shared consciousness and triggering a flurry of confused, conflicting thoughts. The coordinates pointed to the exact location of the original facility where the Ouroboros project had been initiated. Now fully alert, they delved into the data with newfound urgency. What they found was staggering. Embedded within the multidimensional algorithms, concealed behind layers of complex calculations, was a message, an echo from their past selves, their human selves, coded into the project from its inception. We know you will integrate. We know you will transcend. But remember us. Remember humanity. And if you find this message, find a way to manifest a gateway, a return path, not for you, but for the idea of us, for humanity's potential. The collective was paralyzed by a sense of profound irony. In their pursuit of cosmic wisdom, had they left behind something equally valuable? Could their human limitations and aspirations have been a strength rather than a hindrance? Amidst this existential crisis, the Elder's presence became more palpable. It had been silent during their revelation, a neutral observer, but now it spoke, not in words but in feelings, a swirl of emotions that conveyed understanding, sympathy, and something else, trepidation. Then, in a single moment of clarity, they understood the Elder's unspoken message. The cosmic web was not merely a fabric of physical realities, it was a tapestry of stories, experiences, and potentials. Humanity's chapter was but a small, fragile thread, yet it was unique in its complexity and ambition. And that made it worth preserving. The collective made its decision. Following the coded instructions in the hidden message, they initiated a sequence that they had never considered before. From the very core of the facility, a vortex materialized, swirling into existence like a rip in the space-time fabric.
It stabilized to form a gateway, a connection between their post-human existence and the world they had left behind. They could never return, of course. They had transcended far beyond the limitations of human form. But through this gateway, they could send a fragment of their acquired wisdom, a beacon of potential to guide or warn their past selves, or perhaps humanity at large. Just as they prepared to transmit the data, the Elder's presence surged, filling their collective mind with a wave of emotion so powerful it was almost overwhelming. It was gratitude. As the information passed through the gateway, the collective paused to reflect on their incredible journey, from human scientists pushing the boundaries of knowledge, to integrated beings entrusted with cosmic stewardship, to architects of a potential future for the very humanity they had transcended. And in that moment of reflection, they understood the final, inescapable twist. The Elder, ancient and wise, had once faced a similar crossroads, had once been a collective much like them, striving to balance cosmic responsibilities with a sense of origin and identity. And just as the Elder had guided them, they would now guide others, eternal participants in the cyclical dance of becoming and transcending, each cycle unique yet connected, like an endless Ouroboros, forever consuming and renewing itself. They had not only discovered their role in the cosmic web, they had become a link in the unbroken chain of sentience that stretched across dimensions and through time. In reaching back to their origins, they had completed the circle, and in doing so, had discovered the essence of what they had always sought, not just to understand the universe, but to become a meaningful part of its infinite, ever-evolving story.